Mark chapter 7. Appreciate this privilege to be in the house of God this morning. Glad to see you here. It's an honor to be part of the meeting. Thank the Lord for what's already been done. Appreciate the service last night, preaching the Word of God. Appreciate what's been done already in the service this morning. And I desire your prayers that the Lord would help me. I'm very much aware of my inability without Him, and I need His help. And I want to be a help to you. It's my heart's desire, and I'm very much aware that if I'm going to be of any help to you, then the Lord's going to have to help me. And so I trust that He will help us together this morning. Mark chapter 7, I begin reading in verse number 31. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. They bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears And he spit and touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephatha, that ears be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more, a great deal they published it. And were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Now, we read these verses here in Mark chapter 7. We understand that the Lord, in the first part of the verses that we read this morning, the Lord is leaving the coast of Tyre and Sidon. We know about that scripture in the verses previous about the Syrophoenician woman that came to where the Lord was and had a daughter who was grievously vexed with the devil and the Lord did for her what she needed done. Now he's leaving. The Bible said that as he departs from there and goes under the Sea of Galilee, that there's a crowd that comes. and They've got a man who's deaf and he can't speak plain. And they ask him, they beseech him to touch him. And the Bible said that he takes the man apart. And it begins to tell us all the things in detail that the Lord did for him. And the Bible said that he spoke to him and said, be open. And he began to hear and he began to speak plainly. And the Bible said that the Lord charged the crowd not to tell anybody, but the more that he charged them, the more they published it a great deal. And this is what they said. The Bible said in verse 37, And they were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. I was riding down the road to the meeting yesterday. I felt like the Lord began to deal with my heart and speak to me about 
preaching this morning or whenever it fell my time to come, but to preach about that he does all things well. And I thought here we sat this morning as the brother preached and I made a record of what he said as he preached that he said God never does anything wrong. I'm glad that I can say he never has and he never will do anything wrong. God never has made a mistake. God never has had to back up and try a different avenue. God never has had to have a plan B. Somebody said when man fell in the garden that God went to plan B. No, God never has had a plan B. In the mind of God, Calvary was already complete before Adam was ever formed in the Garden of Eden. Before God ever breathed life into that lump of clay, God already knew that Christ would have to die and to give himself a ransom for all man. And so God never has made a mistake. They stood up here this morning saying about this marvelous Jesus. And I thought about how great and wonderful that he is and that he does all things well. I began to study that and the Lord began to deal with my heart and I thought about the word well. I began to look it up. I wanted to know what it meant. It means that he does all things right. And it literally means if you look up the word, and I'm no educated man, but if you look up the word well, it means that he doesn't leave any room for blame. That nobody has ever been able to tell God he didn't do it the right way. Nobody's ever been able at the end result. Now there may be some times that you and I think that God should have done another way. Or God should have moved a different avenue. Or God should have done it in a different time. But when it all comes to the end. When it's all said and done. In whatever situation and circumstance that we're going through in our life. When it all comes to the end. Uh, we'll be able to look back and say he did it all well. Uh, Job said he knew it the way I take. And when he's tried me, I'll come forth as gold. Uh, Job didn't understand everything uh, that he was going through. But at the end, uh, Job could look back and say uh, that he did all things well. And I began to think about that well. Uh, but then the Lord began to push in my heart and to look at the word all. And you know, all means all. That means the things we don't enjoy. He does them all well. Other times we don't feel like we're on the mountaintop. He's doing it well. Other times that we're in the valley and we're going through the trouble and through the turmoil and the situation looks hopeless and it looks bleak. But yet through it all, He does it all well. I thought, Lord, who am I? I mean, here I am and Brother Ronnie already made mention of it. Here I am. 34 years old. Now I've not been through a lot of the things that you've been through. But I've been through some things in my life. And I've went through enough to know how to stand up here tonight, this morning, and tell you that He done it all well. Everything in my life, He's done it well. There have been some circumstances and situations that I wish that I'd never went through. But when I come through the other side, I was able to look back and say that He done them all well. You say, would you go through them again? I guess I would. But when I figured out the fact that God was doing it all well, 
But sometimes we get caught up and it's our human nature, mine included. We get caught up in what we're going through rather than who's going through it with us. Sometimes we focus on the giant instead of focusing on the God. I thought about them spies when they went into Canaan. They come back, 10 of them said, there's giants. They're bigger than we are, stronger than we are, in more number than we are. We're not able to go up against them. But Joshua and Caleb never did deny that the giants were not there. Joshua and Caleb never said, they're not telling you right. Joshua and Caleb said, yes, the giants are there. Yes, they're bigger than we are. Yes, they're more than we are. But they said, our God is able to deliver us. The problem with many of us, and I say us, is that we focus too much on the giants instead of on the God. We're looking at our God in light of our giants. When we should be looking at our giants in light of our God. Knowing that God does all things well. I thought about all things. It's easy to stand up here sometimes and preach that He does all things well. Everything. Not anything that He ever does does He do halfway. Not anything that He ever does does He do just partially well. But He does all things well. Everything He does is right. Everything he does, there's no space for us to go back and find an instance, find a moment, find a second, find a time that we can lay the blame to God and say, in this moment, you didn't do it right. In this moment, you didn't do it well. In this moment, it wasn't for my benefit. But everything that God does, I'm talking about what God does, not what we do. But everything that God does is always well, and it's always always right and it's always for your and my benefit and the scriptures say he does all things well but I thought in the Lord I'm just going to try my best to preach how the Lord's put it on my heart and I can't preach like some of you other preachers I just have to preach like me but I thought about even in them times when it don't happen when we think it ought to he still does it well I thought about when Mary and Martha sent for light for Jesus and said, He whom thou lovest, our brother Lazarus, he's sick. And we need you to come right now. We want you to drop whatever you're doing, leave wherever you are, and come right now. We need you right now. But the Bible said he tarried yet for a while. And they thought, well, he didn't do it well. They didn't understand I mean, the scriptures are very specific to tell us that he loved them and that they loved him. And they probably sat in the house and the Bible said that Lazarus died and the conversation around the table was, well, does the Lord really not care? I mean, we've watched him do this and we've watched him do that. We've watched him heal the sick. We've watched him raise the dead. We've watched him have compassion. And yet we know he loves us and he knows we love him. And yet he's not come to our aid. He's not come to help us we sent for him four days ago and he still ain't here and he might as well not come now because it's too late the situation's too hopeless have you ever felt like that in your life that it didn't happen when you thought it ought to you went to God and prayed we might as well be honest this morning I think we'd get some help if we'd be honest we pray and we say okay God I need you to move right now I need you to work right now I need you to deliver me 
right now. But it might not be his time right now. But I'm going to tell you, even when he don't do it, when you and I think he ought to, he still does it all well. He comes. They bring words that the Lord's are coming. Mary gets up, runs out, falls at his feet. Martha won't even come out of the house. And we can be critical of her all we want to, but we're the same a lot of times. Trying to figure out why the Lord don't care about us. And I'm not preaching at you this morning, I'm just preaching. We all have them days. I think that's what Martha was doing. Why didn't he come? I don't think Mary was hateful. I don't think she was rude or arrogant. I think she was broken hearted when she said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But she didn't know the conversation the Lord already had with his disciples before he ever got there. The Lord said, let's go. Our friend Lazarus is sleeping. They said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he doeth well. The Lord said plainly unto them, he's dead. And he said, I'm glad for your sakes. But a wit that you might believe. In other words, the Lord said it wasn't my time to go when they called days ago, but it's my time to go now, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it real well, and it's going to be a more benefit to them now that I come now than it was if I'd have come three days ago. See, the reality is we don't see the big picture. We just see through a glass darkly. All we see is our here and now. We want God to move now. We want God to come now. But we don't see that three days down the road or three months down the road or three years down the road when our situation looks hopeless and all hope seems gone and we've abandoned all help that God said I'm going to have more benefit and I'm going to get more glory and there's going to be more people affected if I'll just do it in my time rather than do it in in yours and even when it don't happen when we think he still does all things well oh yeah I mean who'd have thought God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees he said follow me he didn't know where he was going he just followed God that's a miracle of itself I mean he come from a family of idol worshippers and God called him out and he just followed God And he got over yonder one day and got to talking with God. And he said, I don't know what I'm going to do, God. I'm getting up in age and I don't have any heirs. What am I going to do? Am I going to take my servant, Eliezer? I'm going to give him everything I got. I guess he'll be my heir. God said, no, it won't be Eliezer. But he said, I'm going to give you seed. And it's going to come forth in your own bowels. And I'm going to give you a son. Abraham waited and waited and waited. And by people's figuring, it was never going to happen. It wasn't happening when people thought that it ought to happen. And sometimes in our life, we got it all figured out. We think there's no possibility if God waits any longer that anything could happen. But the book of Hebrews said that Abraham did not consider himself, though now dead, nor yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. But at a hundred years old for Abraham and ninety years old from Sarah, there came forth a son, and glory was given to God, all because it happened when God said it ought to happen. Happened and he done it well. So God does all things well even when it don't happen when we think it ought to. God does all things well when it don't happen how we think it ought to. I think I read in this text, if I'm understanding it correctly, it seems to me like they brought this man to the Lord, they beseeched the Lord that he would touch him. Look to me like 
Brother Mullins, they wanted to be involved in what was going on. They said, we want to see you touch him. And the Bible said he took him apart from the multitude. And there's probably some of them, I'm just kind of reading between the lines. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Probably some of them said, well, this ain't how I wanted it to go. Why is he doing that? I mean, he let the woman touch him while he was in the middle of the crowd, and she fell down, the Bible said, before them all. And everybody of them was involved. He fed the 5,000. He did all these other things. He, he spoke to that woman, a Syrophoenician. She, I mean, she was a Gentile. She was not of the house of Israel. I mean, he did all that. But we, we thought we'd bring him and we'd see what was happening. This ain't how we thought it ought to be. How many times in your life has God ever done it how you thought it ought to be? I'm going to tell you whether or not. And I've had some times in my life. I may just be 34 years old, but I've had some times in my life. Since I've been saved and since I've been called to preach, if I live till August, I'll be preaching 16 years. And I don't know that any of that really matters, but I'm just trying to tell you that I've been in it long enough to have plenty of times it didn't go like I thought it ought to go. There have been plenty of times, brother, I've stood behind that pulpit and it sure didn't go how I thought it ought to go. And I'll just go ahead and confess and say a lot of them times it wasn't God's fault, it was mine. But then there's some of them times God knew better than I did. Well, in reality, every time He knew better than I did. But you understand what I'm saying. Some of you preachers understand what I'm saying when God puts something on your heart and you think, well, I know exactly how this is going to go and then you get up and it don't go how you thought it ought to go. But I'm glad God knows and He does all things well. There have been times in my ministry, and I don't even like to say that. It's not my ministry, it's God's ministry. There have been times since I've been called to preach, I've been led to a certain text and studied it and tried my best to pray and got up in the pulpit and thought, you know, it'll go this way. I'll really lay it on them this morning. I mean, we all have them times. And then the Lord just nudges and pushes you around that way. Instead of preaching rebuke or reproof, it's all about exhorting and God knows there's somebody sitting in the congregation that's about to quit. God knows there's somebody sitting in the congregation that's about to walk away. God knows there's somebody broken in the congregation that needs help from God and it wasn't time to preach like that but it's time to preach like this. I'm glad God knows what He's doing. He knows how to do it and He does it all well. And so it do us good. And I'm not qualified. I'm probably one of the youngest preachers, if not the youngest in the building this morning. I'm not qualified to preach the preachers, but he's nudging my heart. We just better follow God and do it God's way. He knows what needs to be done. He knows when it needs to be done. And he knows how it needs to be done. And he'll always do it well. So God does it well even when it ain't like we think, when we think, how we think. God does it well even when He does it with things we don't even think about. When He does it with what we don't think. I mean, who'd have thought that day in the desert when the Lord had been long preaching and the disciples said, you better send them away in the town to buy some food. They're going to fall out by the way. And Jesus said, you feed them. 
And they said, Lord, how are we going to feed them? 200 penny worth. Somebody must have been counting the money in the bag and they knew they had 200 penny worth. They said, if we just buy what we can afford, if we give them what we have, it's not sufficient that they may all just have a little. How are we going to do this? And the Lord says, well, what do you have? They said, it don't matter what we got. We don't have enough for this crowd. He said, I'm not asking you to analyze. I'm asking you, what do you have? He said, well, we got a little boy here. He's got, and they, were, they had to be, and I'm not being funny this morning, but they had to be Baptists because they were real critical. And I'm going to tell you, it's killing our churches and it's killing our fellowship and it's killing meetings like this that we got critical spirits. Critical about one another. Critical about the preacher. Critical about the moderator. I know it goes through every. It is the reality. We're too critical. And if it could happen to these men who walk step in step in every footprint the Lord walked, it will and can happen to us. They said, well, we got this little boy here. He's got five barley loaves. They could have just said five, bar, five loaves. But they had to make sure the Lord understood this. Just common people's bread. Amen. Just five barley loaves. And really that word loaf, it wasn't a loaf like we think. It's more like a biscuit. I mean, he just got enough for him. That's it. And oh, he's got two small fishes. That's right. And then one of them chimed in and said, what are they among so many? There's 5,000 men besides the women and children. And I know the terminology, but we do God a great disservice when we just say he fed the 5,000. He fed 5,000 men besides the women and children. If every man was married and had one child, that's 15,000 people in attendance. Probably was more than that. He said, bring them to me. They said, do what? What do you mean bring them to you? What are you, you going to eat it and then maybe fi- find something for them? He said, bring them to me. And he said, while you're bringing them to me, tell them all to sit down. Sit some in hundreds and some in fifties. Just have them all sit down on the grass. And the Bible said he took it and he blessed it. Ain't that something? He didn't have to look up and say, God... You, now he could have, but he just, he was God. He just blessed it. And even though they were so critical, he let them in on it. He said, Now, Matthew, you take this loaf. Thomas, you take this loaf. Bartholomew, you take this fish, and you take this, and you take this, and you begin to give them to them. And they got to breaking off and giving. And breaking off and giving. And about the fourth or fifth man they walked by, they looked and said, it's the same size it was four men ago. And they just keep breaking and giving and breaking and giving and breaking and giving. And the Bible didn't say they all took a little. It said they all were filled. And then Jesus said, gather up what remains, that nothing be lost. And they said, Lord, there ain't nothing going to be left. But they got 12 baskets full. Because not, now you preach however you want to, however the Lord tells you to, I guess. But ain't, the Bible said that he had pulled them apart to rest. They had no leisure, no, not so much as to eat. And he was going to let them know that not only did he care about all them, he cared about them. Amen. But he sure didn't do it with what they thought he could do it with. 
Elijah, Elijah was by the brook and the brook dried up. He said, get up. Go to Zarephath. I got a widow woman down there. Of all things, a widow woman. We're in a famine, Lord. She ain't got no husband to work extra to try to provide. I mean, a widow woman. But he don't argue. He just gets up and goes. Now, he's a man just like you and I are. I think James makes that very clear. He's a man subject to like passions as we are. There's probably some internal discussion about why a widow's house. What is a widow going to do? He comes through the gate of the city and there she is gathering sticks. The Holy Ghost punched him and said, that's her. He said, woman, you go get me something to drink. She never says a word, never argues. She just turns. And he said, oh, and while you're going, will you bring me a morsel of bread in your hand? And I think she stops in her tracks. And that bottom lip goes to quivering. And she turns around with tears rolling down her face. She says, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake. I think what she was saying is, if you'd have come weeks ago, I might have had something, but I, I knew you'd been coming. And I've been wishing either you'd come early or maybe I missed the voice of God and you weren't coming at all because I ain't got enough. And deep down, the, the flesh of Elijah says, see, a widow woman. But the God of Elijah said, tell her to go do what she said, but make you one first and then make for her and her son. And something bold comes over Elijah. And he said, as the Lord thy God liveth, don't be afraid. Go make me a cake first. Bring it to me. Then make for thee and thy son. For God said, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the crucible fail till the day he sends rain on the earth. She went and did according to the word of Elijah. Brought him one, then made for her son, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the crucible fail. You say, what happened? God did it with something they never thought he could do it with. And we better be careful overlooking the insig- what we think are the insignificant things in our life because those are the things God will do it with every time. I mean, who would have thought a little bitty stone and a little bitty sling with a little bitty boy would kill a great big giant? But God did it. David, David didn't do it. God did it. Who would have thought after all the miraculous work on Mount Carmel and Elijah comes face to face with Ahab and he emphasizes the word great twice. He said, you better get up and get home. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And he goes up on the mountain. He puts his face between his knees and tells the servant to go look. And he comes back the first time and he said nothing. Now, I don't know exactly how I feel about this. The Scriptures are not real plain. Maybe some of you other preachers can help me. I don't know that the Scripture implies, Brother Mullins, that he prayed seven more times. I think Elijah just prayed and sent the servant. He said, I don't see nothing. He said, go again seven times. And he said, the seventh time he come back. Now, Elijah just told Ahab there's going to be an abundance of rain. He said, well, I got good news and bad news. The good news is I see a cloud. The bad news is it's just about the size of a man's hand coming up out of the sea. And Elijah says, you better get up and go. Let the rain stop you not. 
And he said, and while he ran, there was a great rain. Now that little servant boy probably didn't want to come back and tell the man of God that had just prayed and sent him to look. He probably didn't want to say just a little bitty cloud, but he said it's just a little bitty cloud. But God did it. God did it. And He does all things well. Even when it ain't when we think, how we think, with what we think. I want to say, and I think I'm done this morning. He does all things well even when He does it with who we don't think. And I think that list would take all morning to preach about all the times God did it with who nobody would think. Gideon, he said, who am I? My family's poor in Manasseh. And I'm the least in my father's house. But God did it. Amen. David, Samuel walks in, says, bring me your sons. Yep. Eliab comes in. He's the firstborn, the biggest, the strongest. Samuel probably says, this must be him. The Lord says, nope, not him. Yep. And the next, and the next, and the next. Till finally Samuel says, is this all your sons? And Jesse said, well, I got one more, but he's just a little boy. And he's up on the field taking care of my sheep. And Samuel says, send for him. And in walks this little bitty boy and God says, that's him. Wasn't who Samuel thought and it probably wasn't who Jesse thought and it probably surely wasn't what all them boys thought, but it was who God wanted. Now I'm going to bring it on down to where we're living and I'm done this morning. On the day of Pentecost, if I'd have been the one to pick, if I'd have been God, I would not have chose Peter. After his denial, probably wouldn't have been my first choice. But there was a meeting that the Lord had too in particular. And I feel real impressed to say this this morning. One day he says, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But he said, but I've prayed for you. I got to think about that one day and I've had a lot of people that I love and have confidence in tell me they're praying for me. But boy, oh boy, what it must have meant for the Lord to say, I have prayed for you. And He said, and when, not if, when you're converted. That's not the converted we think about in salvation. The word converted in that Scripture means to return again when you're brought back to your former state, when you make it through and you're on the other side, he said, then you can strengthen your brethren. Peter follows afar off to see what will be done to the Lord. Somebody says, you're one of them. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. Another lady says, yeah, you are. Your speech bereath you. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. Somebody says, I know, I saw you with him. And he cursed and swore and said, I know him not. And immediately the cock crew and Peter remembered the words of the Lord and he went out and he wept bitterly. Peter found a place of repentance. We can criticize Peter all we want to, but we're in the same boat. And that scripture is written to us, my little children, these things write out unto you that you sin not. 
But if any man do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is faith. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the Lord got up that day and told Martha he, or Mary, he said, go tell my disciples and Peter, I'll see them in Galilee. And I'm going to preach my opinion and I'm just going to clarify that it is my opinion, but I, I think it's right. They get over there by the seashore and I'm talking about how the Lord got Peter from denial to Pentecost. See, if I'd have had my pick, I'd have probably picked John. He was the one leaning on the breast of the Lord. And when everybody else is saying, who is it? John, or when everybody else is saying, is it I? John's saying, who is it? But they're standing over there by the shore and Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said, yes, Lord, I love you. The Lord said, well, feed my lambs. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Now, I've heard preaching and I'm not casting stones. I've heard preaching that the Lord made Peter confess his love three times because he had denied the Lord three times. I don't think the Lord works like that. If Peter had found repentance, the Lord wasn't going to bring up all Peter had already repented of. But I think what's fixing to happen to Peter is he's fixing to get converted. He's fixing to come back to where he once was when he stood in the garden and said, they may all forsake you, but I'll go with you all the way even to death. He says, Lord, you know I love you. He said, well, feed my sheep. Third time, he said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And I believe the Lord asked him three times. I believe the Lord would have asked him 50 times if it took 50 times to get Peter to the point the Lord needed him to be at. And on that third time, Peter broke. And he got where the Lord could use him because this is what he said. His answer changed. He said, Lord, thou knowest all things. He said, you knew before you ever called me by the seashore that I was going to deny you three times over yonder by the fire and you called me anyway. You knew what I'd be. You knew how a failure I'd be. You knew every time I'd stick my foot in my mouth, every time I'd speak out of turn, every time I'd fall flat on my face and you loved me anyway. And he said, you know all things and you know that I love you. It's time for Peter to strengthen his brethren. And that day at Pentecost, the Holy Ghost fell and Peter stood with boldness and got to proclaim the truth of the Word of God. They said, these men are drunk. Peter said, these men aren't drunk as you suppose. It's the third hour of the day. He said, but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel and it began at the beginning and preached all the way down. He said, you with wicked hands have crucified the Lord of glory and they were pricked in their heart and said, what do we do? And he said, repent. Peter wouldn't have been my first choice, but he was God's choice. It's not that God has to get my approval. We're too, we think that too. We're not, God's not waiting for our approval. God's going to do what he wants to, how he wants to. When he wants to, with who he wants to. Paul, Paul wouldn't have been my choice for an apostle either. 
after he persecuted the church. But he got yonder on the road to Damascus. And that great light shone round about him. And the Lord saved him. And he sent him to Ananias' house. And Ananias said, Lord, what am I supposed to do? I've heard of this man. What Ananias was saying is, this ain't who I think you ought to use, Lord. And the Lord said, you tell him what I say to tell him. He's a chosen vessel unto me. I don't know if you've got anything out of it this morning. But I really believe it was my lot to stand this morning and tell you that the Lord does all things well. I'm not belittling your circumstances. I'm not even going to stand up here and tell you that I understand everything you're going through. But I do understand enough to know that He does all things well. That somewhere, though you may not see it now, you're trying to figure out the how and the when and the what and the who. And you can't understand it and you can't see it. But somewhere in the future, He'll bring you to the end and cause you to turn around and look back and say, Lord, I don't know how and I don't know where, but you'll say, I see now that you do all things well. You've done this right, Lord. I didn't think you ever could, but I'm here to say you've done it well one more time. He does all things well. I'm done, brother.